Alrighty, guys. Welcome to the podcast. Um, this this podcast is one of the I don't know one of the best podcasts I think I've ever recorded, uh, at least in my opinion. And today I'm joined by a really close buddy of mine, Sean Melland. And Sh- Sean is just an awesome dude um, who is probably one of the best elk hunters in the world. And I look up to Sean a lot. I've learned so so much from Sean. And I think a lot of people hate on Sean when I do podcasts with him, because what he does seems unattainable. It seems unrealistic, right? But I promise you one thing, the only difference between Sean and you is mindset, 100%. You can sit there and say, well, that's not realistic or that's unattainable, that's not for me, but I want you to ask yourself why. Why is it unrealistic? Why not? Why not you? And I think if you take anything from this podcast, let it be that. We recorded this podcast originally as a Wapiti Wednesday for the Patreons. We're going to do some Elk 301 stuff, and that's Sean's forte. But the second half of that, this podcast got so good that I couldn't not share it with the world. So uh, even Sean, after the podcast, was like, wow, that, that took a direction I was not expecting. And I said, yeah, that might be the best podcast I've ever done. It was just like this aha moment. It was such a punch in the face for me. So uh, I, I hope you guys like it. And um, I know a lot of you have kind of seen some of the stuff that I've posted about my Elk 201 course, which is a four-step system for being a more successful hunter. And I attribute a lot of that knowledge to guys like Sean. I've learned so, so much from Sean in the last few years. And dude, the dude just gets it. And a lot of that system comes from system like his. And and that's how I developed this four-step system. I mean, it's him and, and the hundreds of other guests I've had too. But you know, this is the type of system that I'm talking about when I, when I teach the Elk Hunt 201 course, which is the four-step system for being a more successful hunter. It's, it's like, here's how you have a game plan. You execute. You know, Sean doesn't have some secret sauce. He just executes. Honestly, he executes the basics better than everyone else. And so just take that food for thought. Um, this is a really elk heavy podcast, but the second half gets amazing, 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 amazing. And Sean, Sean, big, strong, like manly man, Sean even, even has a poem for us, which was like, it's, it's damn good. I was super impressed. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Uh, and again, I hope you take something for him, from it. Even if you, you want to shoot rag sixes for the rest of your life, um, you know, there's a lot to take from Sean because I think Sean can stack truckloads of, of rag sixes if he wanted to. So uh, even if you're not, you know, Sean targets 380 plus bulls and he's on a different level. I get that. But I think there's a lot that you can take from Sean, both in life and in, in hunting and hunting elk for sure. Like lots to take in. So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode with uh, Mr. Sean Mellon. I wrote a poem about it last year. Do you want to hear it? Yeah. So, September. Maybe she overheard some of the things I said about her as she blew by on the summer breeze on her way to the fall. Maybe she was tired of giving me what she thought I wanted all these years. Regardless, this year she was ready. She wasn't going to give up a giant. Not this time. But that's where she misjudged me. In her desperate attempts to keep me from my quarry, she gave me everything. In the last month, I've endured wind, dust, and snow, hot days, cold darkness, loneliness, frustration, fear, and doubt. I've counted coup on wild beasts, tangled with the brown devil, and howled at the moon with my brothers the wolves. I've embraced real darkness and made friends with discomfort. In the beginning, I witnessed the ebbs and flows of the wild. Now I feel them and move with them. September will be gone tonight with the setting sun. She feels victory, but her last light will shine on my dusty bearded grin, and she will know that October is in for the ride of her life. The courage to follow your heart and intuition. They somehow already know what you truly want to become. (laughs) I can't even make this up. He starts walking, I draw back, and he's down. He's right there. 
Today's podcast brought to you by the great folks over at Maven Optics. I uh, love my Mavens, love them, and such a great group of dudes. Maven Optics is the first direct consumer optics brand, and this little Wyoming company is flipping the optics world on its head. Hands down, the best bang for your buck that you can get, and you're support- supporting a local company. I'm running the new B6s this year in 12 by 50, and I'm absolutely blown away at how good these are for what they cost. They are such a great piece of glass. Highly, highly, highly recommend them. Check them out. Maven's new B6s. Uh, Mavenoptics.com. Use the code TRO and you'll get an extra gift when you make a purchase. Awesome company. Highly recommend. All right. Cheers. Yeah, cheers. We're live. We're live. We're live. Cheers to the the podcast. Uh, I was laughing because I'm like... Every time Sean calls me and he's like, hey, let's go get lunch at Sidewinders. I'm like, shit, I have so much to do today. I'm going to get drunk. <laughs> uh, all right. So welcome to the podcast. We're going to do, I don't know what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about WAPT Wednesday. Sean, the, the big bull killer, the expert. You don't like that, do you? I don't. <laughs> I like the big bull killer. I'll take that. Are but. you at, where are you at right now? Like, are you like, oh. Ready to kill big balls, ready for season. Yeah, I feel like uh, actually somebody was just asking me today. There's a particular bull that I've been watching, and he's like, you know, have you have you seen him? You still got tabs on him? And uh, I was just kind of talking about like big bull behavior this time of year, how they're starting to yeah. scratch off that itchy velvet and getting just more irritated and more yeah. angst with each day. And uh, I feel like that correlates exactly with how I'm feeling and how we feel like coming into both season, you know, like it's time to just, you know, it just builds each day and you're just getting to the point where you're like, okay, we're ready to clock in and recertify the savage. Yeah. I'm, so I didn't get nearly as much scouting as I usually do. Usually it's like schedule a day a week and get it done. Like I just like, it's good for me too. Like to get out, like force myself to get away. This year had not happened. And in fact, like uh, I was scouting and Jaden texts me. He was like, oh, finally get out. Cause Jaden's been out like 30 days or some shit, you know? And uh, so I turned up like three potential shooters in one day, which is like the most productive day ever. And I was like, well, Jaden, when you get as good as I can, <laughs> you have to scout one day. You don't have to scout all that much. Just, just be efficient. Uh, yeah. <laughs> He's like, shut up. You got lucky. I was like, yeah, probably. But um, we were kind of talking about it. And then someone else, Asked me today, they're like, okay, early versus late. And they're like, should I, should I even go early? Like, if I'm looking for big bulls, you know, like they don't show up till they're like, I'm like, well, they still exist early. So it's not like they don't show up, but. So he's talking early season. Yeah. Like, early season versus like yeah, October. Yeah. Show up is relative to where you're at. <laughs> right. They're definitely like they, somewhere. They still exist. <laughs> yeah. They're, I mean, they're, they're definitely much more killable early. I mean, look at the, I mean, Greg Krogh's. Prime example down in Nevada, that archery season is uh, typically much earlier, like mid August, mid to late August till, um, you know, like second week of September or whatever that is. And they're, you know, they'll smash giants down there you know, pretty regularly. Uh, obviously, Greg's very talented right. uh, guide and outfitter and spends a lot of time and knows, knows all that stuff and a big bull killer. But, um, you know, that time of year, some these giant bulls a lot of times will solo off and they become extremely killable. Um, if you can find them. Right. So do you think it's, uh, do they change their behavior between like, say scout season? Cause I feel like you can scout them up and you can find them and then they tend to like disappear for a bit. Right. Like, like get there still somewhere. But like, do you think that it's a little bit tougher to keep track of those bulls though? Yeah, absolutely. So like that's happening right now. So right. if you've been scouting bulls all summer, like yeah. that is changing as we speak. Like every, <laughs> every day, you know, now like the next couple of weeks here, they do go into that disappear mode. Yeah. Um, and obviously they don't actually disappear. They go right. somewhere. And typically like the, the older, more dominant bulls that, that we love to hunt, they, you know, those ones are going to be, they're going to be a little more selective, a little more secluded. And, uh, they're just going to be, I don't know, they're going to be somewhere they're they're not getting bugged at all. And they're just kind of in that staging zone, getting ready to go right. do their thing. So, and, and like I said, I mean, if you can find those bulls in that in that area where they're where they're spending that little staging time, uh, man, you can you can definitely kill them. Is it like thick? Do they just go staging in thick shit, or they go to private? Like, what are they? Um, it could be all of, all of the above. Um, anything you might 
that falls into that category where they're not going to be around a bunch of young bulls. Right. They're not going to be about around a bunch of cows that are attracting attention and they're right. not in estrus yet. They're going to be somewhere where they're not getting bothered. They're just eating and drinking and resting up and that just kind of getting to that point where they get to that breaking point and they can't take any more. It's time to go. So I'm super nervous about two things. Um, both of the bulls that I found this last weekend that I'm like, oh, those are both shooters. I would, I would show you those. They're both with younger bulls. And I'm like, that makes me nervous because I know exactly what happens. As soon as that velvet comes off, he's going to walk away. And I'm like, ah, that, like, I'm not getting, I'm not getting romantic about the situation where I'm going to go back and he's going to be the same spot. Like, uh, I, I just, it is what it is. Like he's with younger bulls, which means he's probably just going to peace out. Right. Yeah. I mean, he's the, the key to that is going to be, and, we, and we've talked about this before, but uh, the key to that is going to be, so you've, you've found a particular bull and whether he's with a big bachelor group or by himself or a couple younger bulls, it doesn't really matter right now. He's going to go to where he ruts. So the best thing you can do if you find a bull like that is to, you know, find the, the pods of cows relative to, uh, you know, in, in our country, 20, 30 mile radius <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's the uh, thing is like it's almost like because uh, we've had this conversation before but it's like find the closest group of cows and just cross that one out because like sometimes they, <laughs> they run right by them sometimes they don't i mean it's i've seen it happen both ways to where there's i mean the the bull that i'm watching right now there there is a very good group of cows very close to them and they're very secluded they're gonna rut there i know they rut there historically um whether or not he will go and rut there i don't know that's the big question for you is like, is he going to go to that group? I, I don't know. So we'll see. Which is funny because I had a buddy who had a giant bull last year and it was on the same group of cows from this opening weekend, like through, I think he saw the bull in the 20s, like 22nd, 23rd. Mm-hmm. So it's like, man, that's crazy. It just seems like my luck, those bull, the bulls I've come across don't do that. Like again, all elk are different and they tend to like do funny things. Well, a lot right? of that's pressure related. Like your True. buddy's bull that was on that same group of cows, they probably weren't receiving a lot of pressure. Right. You know, if somebody is blowing them up every day, he's not, he's not, gonna he's not going to stick around forever. I mean, I, if they're pressured like that, they may come back, but I mean, they're not going right. to be there all year. If, if they are all there all year, then you've got a pretty good spot. Yeah. And it's, it's, so it's kind of like when it comes to mule deer, they always say like find secluded does because the big bucks aren't going to hang around the, like you might catch a big buck right next to the road on a group of does. It could happen, but he's probably not going to stick there for days. Whereas if he finds a secluded group and he doesn't need a lot, he only needs a few does. Same thing with these bulls. Like they get six, eight cows and I've seen giants just have six cows. And mm-hmm. you're just hanging out because he's like, there's no one messing with these. Well, yeah. I mean, until he breeds them all and then he'll move on yeah. too. So they do, they do, they do go through that and it may be six cows, but one of them's like hot, right? right. So he's going to be there till he breeds her and, and so on down the line. If depending on their estrus timing, I mean, if there's nothing happening with that group of six, he's going to leave. Yeah. Yeah. So and that's, I mean, that's pretty true. And that's why you get like, okay, bulls don't show up because it's like the cows you're watching, he may show up, but it's like, let's say the 20th on is when they start doing the walkabouts and covering mm-hmm. an extreme amount of ground and like looking at a bunch of different cows. Whereas, you know, the fifth through the, I don't know, even the 15th, depending on where you are, but it doesn't feel like they're like either locked in or they're not even worried about cows. Yeah. So generally, so here's, here's a good one. So generally early you have a better chance and this is just a statistical game, but generally early you have a much better chance of finding a big bull with large groups of cows, right? Because oh, there's, really? there's a better chance that one of those or uh, some of those are going to be yeah. in estrus, right? So later on in the season, you have a lot better chance of finding a big bull with smaller groups of, of cows when the majority of the elk in that area are in estrus. See, you know what I found is that the bigger the group of cows, especially early, seems like I get smaller bulls. Like, you know, little three... 320 bulls that are just like hanging out in the group for a long period of time. Doesn't like, I don't know. Maybe there's. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, the biggest bull I've ever hunted was cowed up August 28th with like really? 80 cows. No way. Yeah. That's yeah. nuts. Is that hot dude? Uh, that's the way I, I don't think you can put like a, it's, Oh, here's what happens no. because every, yeah, every bull is different. Yeah. I'm this year I'm playing it just cause it's been so hot and we had, 
We had awesome rain all the way up until basically the 4th of July, um, which is perfect for elk hunting because right. the, all those, they're, they're, they had a pretty easy winter. Um, so they came out of winter healthy and then they had a super wet spring and early summer, which is their, their antler growing phase. I mean, they're munching on green grass. It's still green all through that time. It's, and it still is in, in, in a lot of areas. Um, so you had, you had your bases covered on great growth here, right? But now late it's getting really hot and it's looking like it's going to stay hot early in the season. So, you know, concentrating efforts on secluded water or non-pressured water is going to be really productive. Do you like, uh, tanks versus ponds? Hmm. Uh, doesn't matter. Uh, no, it doesn't matter. Uh, it's, it's more <laughs> relative to pressure. So if it's, uh, yeah, it's just more relative to pressure period. Do you so think non-pressured water, it doesn't matter if it's a tanker. Does cows can have pressure if you're watered for you? Cattle? Cattle. Yeah. Because yeah. it feels like, I mean, like it, it, pond gets cows equals no elk, in my opinion. Like, I just won't mess with it. Yeah. I mean, I, I've had some pretty solid case studies. I mean, I know that, I mean, elk and cattle do um, interchange and, right. and, and use the same areas. Um, but it, if they have a choice, yeah, their preference are. is to be where the cattle are not. So if you're in an area, say that, you know, there's four pastures and there's water in each and there's elk frequenting the area and there's cattle in one pasture, you will get elk on the other three water holes every single day. And when the cattle rotate to the next pasture, literally the next day elk will move into the pasture the cattle are no longer in. Oh, really? Yeah. So I've got got great camera data on that. (laughs) Well, it's funny because, yeah, like you said, I've seen, I have plenty of video of elk. And this, you know, using stuff with cows, like right there intermingled, like moving right through them. But the water seems to be like the one thing. And in my experience, I like tanks better than because I feel like, and this is completely made up. I feel like once the cows get into the pond, like, you know how it is, they just piss and shit in the pond. And like, seems like they out push out. Whereas if you have a drinker. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah. They don't get in it. And so, like, I feel like I still have camera data. Now, if the cows take over a tank and it just, like, you know, you got cows all over, they'll probably stay out of there. But if there's just a few cows using a tank, they'll still use it. But, man, it feels like with a pond or something. The other thing I was thinking about is that with ponds, I feel like every swinging dick finds the pond, right? Like, there's cameras on them. And, like, right. they get pressure far more than a lot of the drinkers because the drinkers aren't marked or the yeah. tanks aren't marked in most of eastern Montana. Yeah, any, un, you know, that's just non-pressured water. Right, water, so again. It all again. boils down to yeah. that. I don't yeah. think it really matters. I found a tank this summer, which is coincidentally where I found a freaking giant. And, yeah, it's... When Sean says a giant, it makes me giggle. <laughs> Well, you actually did. I sent you a picture of him, and you yeah. thought I was joking, but dude, I didn't think that bull was that big. Yeah, I don't know. Trail camera <laughs> pictures are weird. It did totally. Yeah, yeah, I mean, when, but when they have a body like a propane tank and the, the antlers <laughs> still dwarf the body, yeah, right. you got a right. giant on your hands. So, uh, but yeah, that that water, it's that's a tank, um, and it's. I mean, I don't. I can can imagine a, a less pressured um, tank. Tank. I mean, it's. Are you nervous awesome. about being able to find him though? Like, no. uh, like in my situation, I'm like, I just like, I'm not the bull I found. I'm not as romantically like married to as the bull. If I found your bull, <laughs> so like totally different, you know, like mine, I could turn up again, like another version of that bull. Right. And so like yours, you're probably not going to find it like another comparable bull. Right. So are you like super worried about it? Cause I'm in my mind, the bull I showed you, I'm like, uh, you know, if I find him great, if not, that sucks, but it's like, I'll go find a different one. Yeah. I mean, this, this one is definitely going to be in my favor to, to kill him as soon as possible. Like, yeah. You, you have like all, all cards on this deck ready to mm-hmm. go. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. I mean, when you find one like that, like I, I told you, it's probably the second biggest bull I've ever hunted, which is pretty significant. And, uh, yeah, I just, it's definitely going to be in my favor to kill him early because he's going to be relatively close to where where I've been watching him. Um, when do you, when do you think that changes? What day? I don't know. Hopefully, like <laughs> September fourth. <laughs> so he's dead. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, man. They they're all different. So um, 
but there are, I mean, I have found, I have, you know, A, B, and C of where I think he's going to rut. And I do have pretty good historical knowledge of uh, really strong rut areas uh, with good groups of cows uh, within proximity to where he's at. So I'm very confident that regardless of whether I kill him early or if it's later in the rut, I'm going to find him. Okay. So it gets to September 10th. You haven't found him yet. Are you, what's your day to day? Are you just like basically going circles on those three cow groups and waiting? Or are you trying to expand your search horizon? So now, so I'm, I'm really focused on, on, you know, a pretty particular uh, area that I know is, is uh, low pressure. And uh, I know it's going to have, you know, a better percentage for high age class bulls to rut in that area. Right. So I'm just going to focus. I'm super focused on that area. Um, and I'm just going to hunt the shit out of it until I kill a giant. So, oh yeah, another giant could show up, but like, are you, are you sticking? My, I guess my point is like, are you sticking to the one group of cows? And you're like, I'm going to be there every single day until a big bull that until he shows up. Or are you like balancing between the three? And the reason I ask that is because, uh, historically, uh, I had multiple cow groups and I felt like I was just bouncing around to see what was in it. And I think the one thing I've learned in the last two years is like, I just need to like have two or three and not 10 that I'm just like bouncing around and every seventh or eighth day I come back to it, you know, it's like, cause they could come and go in that time period. So like, I'm just curious, like from your perspective, you don't say you don't shoot your bull opening day. What is the hunt strategy? Are you focused on one group, three groups? Yeah, it's pretty concentrated. I'm not going to spread too thin. Hmm. And, and a lot of that's just, I mean, I've been doing this now for a while. I'm, I'm pretty confident in what's in my plan. So I'm just going to stick to, you know, a pretty small area. And there are, there are going to be several different groups of elk in that area, but it's going to be pretty concentrated. And and I know that it's going to be good. So I'm just, it's just, it's a lot of patience. And that's the thing is like, I, the one thing I've learned in the last few years of hunting super open country is that you have to. A, have a lot of confidence and just like knowing that the area you're in is going to produce a bull. It's not about, I think the old me, like the old, whether it was like bugling elk or hunting big timber of any of that, it's like, you're just looking for the bull, you know, that that's available. If that makes sense. Instead of like, I'm going to sit here and wait till a bull comes to me, which is super hard to do if you have ADD and you're like not used to. Yeah. But you can, you know, the more, the more you prepare and the more data you've collected, like we talk about, you know, the confidence side. So that's not just made up. Like, I just think there's going to be a big bull here. That's, that doesn't just come out of nowhere. That comes from years of data research, scouting, scouting. Um, So the confidence comes from a place of preparation, just like, in anything else, right? Mm-hmm. Like where the more prepared you are, the more confident you are. And so, you know, now like f- for me, I'm extremely confident. I'm super amped. I'm super pumped for this season. Like <laughs> I, like I know it's going to be an awesome season. And Did- that, that's not just like a assumption <laughs> that's based off of, you know, years of, you know, a crazy amount of time spent and work and research and, and, you know, everything I've put into it. I, I know that, it's going to be awesome. So Dan posted something the other day. He said um, something about confidence being his best hunting partner. And I was like, that is so freaking true. Look at the best elk hunters in the world. And they're, they're super confident. They know what's going to happen. Like they, they know their plan is dialed. There's zero variables going into it of like, well, I hope this works out. <laughs> like, well, and that's where happen. so many hunters fail because <laughs> like you, if you talk about self doubt, so where does that come from? So if, if you have a lot of self-doubt and you're, you might be sitting on a freaking gem of a, of a herd and there's going to be a giant that's going to show up, but you haven't put the work in, you haven't put any preparation into it. So you're not confident. You have no idea what, what might show up. So you're going to leave. Yeah. You just, you're second guessing. You're not confident because you haven't prepared. Yeah. And that's where all that self-doubt creeps in. And, and that's, you know, 99% of hunters is they have so much self-doubt and, you know, myself early on, that was definitely the case. But now, you know, I'm super confident because of all the preparation. Right. So I know, I mean, there's, there's basically zero self-doubt, like it's going to happen. <laughs> right. You know, but that, that comes from a place of, you know, deeply rooted in all the, all the work and time right. spent. 
Well, I would, I would agree, or I would, I would agree with that sentiment in that when I went, when I started hunting the prairie, it was like, dude, I sucked. I was so terrible. I was so bad. And it was just like, I can't, like, I just can't, couldn't figure it out. Like, because everything I knew, every, all the work I had put in had zero impact on it, right? Like nothing was so different. Than your, it's so fucking different. Yeah, what you came up doing. Right. And and so it was like, I dude, it was a punch in the face. Now that I have a few it took me years. And I think that's the the hardest part for a lot of people is like you stick to what you know because it's comfortable and you have confidence in it. And if you never push outside of that boundary, you'll never grow. And so for me it was like it sucked, but I had to get away from trying to bugle in every single elk and be like, okay, how do I how do I be more like Sean or how do I be more like Lucas or how, all these like great hunters that slay giants? And I'm like, okay. They hunt the prairie, I'll figure it out. I'm going to suck. I'm going to really suck at this in the beginning, but eventually I'll figure it out. And it's crazy how, like, in, like, and this year, I even told you, dude, I was like, I'm thinking about going back to the old school shit. It's like, I just was, I was struggling, man. I was you struggling. Were. <laughs> and usually, I mean, you, you, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, usually, you know, comfort is what holds most of us back mm-hmm. in anything. I mean, think of, uh, you know, Think of the guy who wants to be an entrepreneur and has all the skills to do so, but he's got a good job with a good salary with benefits and all that. So he just does that for 30 years. And then he looks back and he's like, shit, like, man, I could have done all this. It's, you know, those comforts are generally what holds you back. So you've got to make friends with discomfort. How do you find, how do you find confidence if you don't have experience? You have to start putting the work in and build it. That's, it's really all there is to it. You know, just you, you have you have to build it. Um, it's I think the same. Well, uh, you had said this before, but there's confidence. You can take a lot of the like unknown variables out of things you can control. So you can't control elk interaction, experience, all that shit. But you can control like your bow being absolutely dialed, right? You're like, I got full confidence in this thing. I got full confidence in my fitness. I got full confidence in how much time I have. I have like so like. Of all the variables that are uncontrollable, like control the ones you can and work on that, the other one, right? Yeah, you definitely have to control the controllables. Um, that's that's step one in like any elite mindset um, and, and not, not be too, too concerned about or concerned at all about the things that you can't control. Be aware, um, but don't, you know, don't let it stop you from, from what you're striving towards. Um, but yeah, that's... I mean, to build confidence, you, you have to put in the work that that's the only way to build it is put in the time, put in the effort, build the knowledge, gain the skills. Um, you know, just like, you know, we've talked about like networking before, like how do you, how do you build a great network? Well, like the best way to build a great network in my belief is to create tremendous value within yourself. Yeah. And then those people will, will be attracted to you. So you just, how you do that is you just work and you build at, you know, whatever your unique craft is or, you know, whatever the thing is, just work at it, get really good at whatever it is. And, and that value, you create value that way. And, and then, you know, people are attracted to that. It's the same thing with hunting. If you want the confidence, you, you have to put in the work to create the value within yourself. So, you know, yeah, like, all right, I know I got what it takes now. And, Cause I put the work in. So it, and I was going to say like relationships, the same thing. Like you want to be in a great relationship, build yourself up first and then you can figure that out. Um, what I want to get back to this, like finding like starting from scratch, everything falls apart for you mid season. Um, this happened to you. I don't know. Was it year before last? Like all the plans went to hell how do you how do you go back to the drawing board? Because I think it's easy to be like, well, if you just do this, this, and this, it all fucking works out, right? And yeah. and dude, uh, what's the year? I don't know. You text me with a, like a giant bull on your back with a middle finger, <laughs> and it was like all falls apart. What do you go back to? Just back to the basics. You know, back to what you you know and you're confident in. Um, you know, because it just goes back to confidence once again in in your preparation. Cause it does happen a lot, almost every year you know, <laughs> where you get to that mid September and it's like not going your way. The rut's not happening. The weather sucks. Like somebody blew up my hunt. Yeah. Like all this shit happens and you're like, where do I go next? You know, and yeah. you just have to, 
well, there's nothing finding out. You trust you like, what you know. Well, I was trying to tell someone this today that, in my opinion, you have to turn your hunt into a scout, not a hunt. Like, and this is, I think this is true for most people. Like, if you don't have a bull that you're hunting, like, I'm finding elk. I'm not just like, oh, I'm going to go hunt this area. I am literally going super hard at like trying to find more elk, find more elk, find more elk, find more elk. That's all I'm doing. And I'm not like spending a bunch of time like, oh, I'm going to go like trep into this area and whatever call like i'm just finding elk as fast as i can yeah i mean and it, it also comes back to just like what it what it means to you right i mean if it if it's important enough to you right and when you hit those lulls like that happens in anything in life like there's always ebbs and flows and 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 uh you know if you can if you can be consistent um and you know i love the the idea of of uh you know if you love something enough it will re- reveal its secrets to you. Uh, so anything that you love enough, like we love buffering elk, <laughs> right? right? And when you get to that mid-September inch, everything sucks. But <laughs> you don't like you love it so much. You're just going to get after it right. either way, and that's when it reveals those secrets to you. You get through those hard times, and then you come out the other side, and more it means that much more, more confidence. Yeah. yeah, and you're just okay. even better. So it's kind of the beautiful thing about bow hunting elk, man. It's super hard, and it, a lot of times it sucks. Yeah. So when does Sean decide to make a stock? Like you got a bull, you know, and I think this is something you're really good at. You basically put on one stock a year and you kill a bull. Yeah. <laughs> so how do you, instead of like, what is the like, there's a balance between patience and aggression, right? It's kind of an art. And you learn that over time. What's Sean's, like, what's Sean's go-to on patience and aggression. So you know this about me, but I'm I'm extremely default aggressive, right? Like right. that's that's the default. <laughs> so you know, always default to that. But uh, it goes back again to knowing the country that you're in um, and knowing the animal you're hunting, and you know, maybe maybe somewhat uh, more uniquely to me, where I'm usually hunting a, a specific animal um, that I probably know a little better. So um, based off of that knowledge, I know when to be. Uh, What's going to tell you that though? Like, like where they're at, what the herds. Yeah. Just, just based off their behavior and, you know, always the wind and, you know, the situation they're in. Like, um, do you wait until that bull? Cause I, I've heard a lot of people say like, they'll sit on a bull until he's running harder than usual. Right. Like he's going pretty good. No, I get all. nervous I, about any time that I see a bull that I want to kill during season, regardless of where it's at during the rut, pre during post, regardless, um, Every time I see that bull, I evaluate where he's at and what he's doing, like similar to how like a, a free solo climber would evaluate a rock. <laughs> right. Right. I look at every move, what could happen. And I try to just download all that information in my brain. And if, if I see a line that I can make it to the top, I'm going to hammer it. Like, do you have a percentage? You're like, okay. Cause like hypothetical situation here. Get on a bull. Uh, he's with cows. You're like, okay, they they went up embedded here. You're like, ah, I could go this way. You're looking at different lines, right? You're like, you're evaluating. Like, I could go this route. I could go this route. If I get to here, maybe they'll move. Like, whatever. If I look at those, I'm like, man, those are all super low percentage odds. I'll probably wait to see what to see if like the situation develops a little bit. Yeah, it's super situational, and it's a lot of it's based on pressure. So. If, if you think another person's going like, to, yeah, if he's in an area where you think this yeah. might be your only chance, yeah. if it's low percentage, I'm fine sending it because yeah. it's low percentage anyway. <laughs> right. Right. And do you know, you worry if, about bumping them or does it not matter? Yeah, no, absolutely do. Yeah. Yeah. I try not to. I mean, my overall strategy is that the bull I'm hunting, like, I don't want that bull to ever know I exist until my arrow goes through his chest. Right. Like we're flesh deep before he knows I'm there. <laughs> You know, so that that's the overall plan. Um, whether or not, like, the, how aggressive you get with low percentage stocks is totally dependent on on pressure and just everything. How confident you are that they're going to continue their pattern, everything that you know about them. If you know nothing about them and there's lots of pressure and you have a low odd stock, you better freaking go get it. Right, like because you never know if he's going to be there. You might never see him again, you know. But if yeah. you know. They're hitting the same water every day. There's nobody else around, and they're in a bad spot today. Just w- wait till tomorrow. Right. Keep watching them. Right. You know, so it's all so. That's one of the coolest things about it. It's like constant evaluation. You know, 
<laughs> there's a funny story. There's a funny story about that. You'll get a kick out of this. You're a part of it. So there was a bull. I don't know if you remember this, but there was a bull. Found a good bull. He kind of was up. He was running super hard, and I I was like, okay, there's a line. It, it was never really a great option for this situation, right? The wind was swirly as shit, and I think I was texting you, and I'm like, I sent you pictures and stuff, and. You know, you're like, go get it, blah, blah, blah. And I, I'd like, I'd get halfway there and the wind would switch. And I'm like, oh, I should only wait. Let me wait. And the thing I didn't account for, that was a Friday afternoon. And I was like, oh, I'll wait, I'll wait. Like, let's just see what happens. And I, I'd get halfway up on that stock and come back. Long story short is I waited till the next day and went up in there thinking I had it dialed. Well, there's you know, three of my best friends there with me and bull blows out. And I was so pissed off because I had spent like two, I think it was like two days. We're on this bull. And mm. I was like, damn it, Sheldon, I'm shooting the next bull that bugles. <laughs> I shot that bull. And long story short, it was like, you have to think about, you know, the day of the week. This happened to me on another giant. I found a giant. He was not where he should be. Like everyone wants to think that these bulls are all super remote, but this bull was right next to the road. You know, it was like, damn it. Yep. And, Again, it just, I was trying to figure him out. I just found that bull. I'd never really got a great option. And then, of course, I think it was that time it was Friday. Friday afternoon, somebody whips in and they're shooting their pistol off on top of the ridge. I never saw that bull again. Oh you know, and gosh. it's like, ugh, like, it's so funny that people think that if you go super remote, you're going to find these big bulls. But so often I find these giant bulls right with people. And it's so frustrating to me because I'm like, they're going to screw this up. You know, like they don't know this bull exists, but he's right next to people all the time you know it's like this has happened to me multiple times where i find giants and like they just happen to be where they are <laughs> yeah yeah it's true and then they get and they're used to that and so that's why they move so much and that's yeah. why it can be so hard to you know totally. stay on a consistent pattern because they're they're used to living around people or roads or whatever it is that just they make these big 10 mile loops or yeah. whatever it is and yeah. it makes it makes it challenging well and it goes back to the mule deer um analogy where it's like you can go to colorado and find a giant right next to the road but he's not going to stay there very long so the the giant that you can find that's secluded and not getting messed with is going to be far more you know passive he's going to stay with us that group longer than if uh they just down by people and <laughs> everything else yeah if you catch one down there by the road right you better just go <laughs> kill him yeah he might as well just full send yeah no seriously <laughs> it works out or not and, he, and a lot of times even in the and it's actually a good point because uh, if you find bulls in that situation if, and if they're used to pressure and for some reason they're rutting there, you can go bull them up and they'll be right back the next day mm. at, sometimes. If they got a hot cow, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, if they're used to that pressure, like what what's the difference between you going in there or the cowboy cowboys riding through on their horses? Like, <laughs> it doesn't matter. They're going to get blown up that day anyway. Yeah. So. Did you get a giant last year and the cowboys rode right through it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That was frustrating. <laughs> Sore subject. <laughs> yeah, so that we'll tell that story real quick. So that particular bull was in an area with very high concentration of grizzly bears. Uh, matter of fact, we'd we'd seen a, a just a a gigantic grizzly drag a dead cow down into the willows, like I don't know a week or two before, uh, and then to fast forward two weeks or whatever it was, I'm there by myself. Um, which was highly advised against uh, by by several friends by myself in the very same willows that that grizzly had dragged the the cow into and stalking a you know really really big bull and uh, you know probably within minutes of of making it happen and because uh, you were like on the herd like they were right there weren't they yeah so I was in the river I was walking in the river and the bull was also in the river I could hear him splashing and raking the willows and i just had to make it around this little bend and i'd had about a 40 yard shot um so i was like waist deep walking in the river like super deep in grizzly (laughs) country and uh yeah then right about then and the wind was perfect everything was perfect like it was about to happen and uh you know next thing i know the, the whole herd just blows out and the willows just exploded just you know just Leaves and trees and I mean, just like, oh yeah, like, dude. I'm like, well, <laughs> this is it, you know. <laughs> and they all just blow up, and I'm just fully expecting it to get mauled by a giant grizzly at this point. But uh, yeah, I look over my shoulder, and here come the cowboys riding over the hill, you know, moving cattle. So 
that's just part of the, part Dude, of the game. You know, I was, so I was fortunate to be hunting that area. Um, you know, it was, it was a, a working cattle ranch and that's, that's part of the deal. So uh, pretty frustrating. That sucks. Yeah. Did you ever see that bullet again or any piece No, out? no. Uh, that's the worst. Yeah, it was tough. <laughs> uh, so what advice do you have, um, uh, I was telling you, like, we did this going from 101 to 201. I feel like you were, like, 301. You're on a different level. But, like, if you want to go – now that I think about it, I don't know if you ever were in 101 or 201. You just skipped three, straight to 301 for some reason. <laughs> but, like, when it comes to being consistent, I think 99% of people look at – no offense, they look at what you do and they're like, well, that's unattainable. Um, how do you what, – what advice would you give to being more consistent to killing – let's say a good six point every single year. Yeah. You just, you have to find out. Um, so whatever level that you're, you're trying to achieve, you, you have to find out um, what's required to achieve that level. Um, so for me, the level I want is excellence, right? Like the highest level. Right. Um, and then you have to make whatever that level is for you. Um, you have to make that a habit, right? So whatever the steps in the preparation that's required to get to that level you have to just make that a habit. There's a there's a quote that uh, you know when, when you make excellence a habit, then that's just who you are. Yeah. Um, so whatever your level is that you're you're trying to attain, you you have to make. Dude, I think most people. I, I think you're 100 right. I think most people don't understand what that looks like. Yeah. And that's the interesting thing about hunting is like I could look at I don't know any other hobby in the world and be like, okay, what do other people do? How do they train? What do they whatever. But like hunting's this like independent thing where you don't really do it with other people and you don't know what that level looks like. I think you come from a world where like to get to the highest level of athletics, I've always said that like those are the best hunters because they understand what operating at a different level looks like. And I remember so I grew up racing and spent a lot of time racing, but I remember my first pro uh race was Pitt, Idaho, and this pro dude like launches off this hill that insane rate that i didn't even understand was possible and i was like oh like there's there's a whole nother level that i didn't know about and and so i think the same thing is true for hunting like most people are operating in 101 without knowledge of what 201 and definitely not what 301 looks like i know what work goes into your little thing so like that's 301 <laughs> but like i think the average person is still operating at 101 they want to be 201 which i would consider like consistently killing six points every year i think they just don't understand what what work or what like habits go into that right like they just yeah so so challenge yourself to so i think what you're talking about too is and there's a lot of like uh you know, like there's like the 80 20 diet right where they're yeah. like you know 80 percent of the time yeah you're perfect and 20 percent of the time you're you're slacking, slacking yeah. off a little bit. Yeah. But the problem with that is that most people who participate in that have never gone the full 100. <laughs> so they don't know what 80 is. Right. Like their 80 is like 100. So yeah. they're really down at like 60, you know? So it's like a 60 40. And they're like, why is this not working? Yeah. And so, you know, challenge yourself to go the full 100. Yeah. You know, like be like, find out what that is for you going the full 100 and then from there you can you can evaluate first of all what if that's something that's worth it to you because most people to to get the desired result like let's face it you're not willing to do what it takes to get that result like it's a pipe dream right you know dude that's 100 percent true and it's true for hunting because most people i hear this all the time like oh well you know i i call out because i love to call elk i'm like well that's fine I, you know, like, oh, it's a, you know, like people go elk hunting because they love to sit at camp and BS with their friends. That's fine. Like, I just, I just do that in July. You know, it's called scouting. But, (laughs) (laughs) but like all those things is like, if you want to consistently kill elk every single year, you have to understand what it is supposed to look like. You have to know what the 100 is. Like 100, aka 301, aka targeting 400 inch bulls every single year is a, in a, enormous amount of work to put in like Greg Krug, those guys, like they put in so many hours of scouting and understanding that elk, understanding the herd, herd dynamics, what the elk's going to do. They know where he's going to rut. Like it could be 20 miles away. They know where he's at, who he's going to be. Right. They know yeah. where to turn him up. Like that's very 301. So 101 is like, you're going to go out in the woods, you're going to set up your hunting camp and you're going to go back in this drainage where once you saw elk, like, that's one-on-one. <laughs> and so to, like, where's the middle ground? Like you said, like you have to understand 
what the 80-20 of that is and say like, okay, that's great. I feel like a two and one is kind of the the balance of like, okay, I, maybe I don't spend a hundred days a year scouting for one elk. And then I spend 30 plus days hunting that elk only, but you know, maybe I come back off of that to 80 and yeah. <laughs> say like, okay, I'm going to cover a ton of ground. I'm going to find multiple herds of elk. I'm going to have lots of options. Uh, and I'm going to like, you know, hold out for a, a good six point. I don't, I don't think that's unrealistic at all. No, it's not. And then just accept the fact that, um, it's super hard, right? I mean, <laughs> like you have to accept that. Like, I think so many people think that oh, I'm going to, if I put in all this work, like yeah. I'm just going to be successful. Right. But it, it's not always like that. Yeah. And most of the time it's not like that. Right. You know, it's like you, you put in, if you go the full 100, your odds are still slim, you know? So you, you have to just accept and understand that, you know, the, the pursuit that you're involved in is, is an incredible pursuit. It's hard. It's, it's the hardest thing I've ever done, you know, to do, to do it at the level I do it is, it's the hardest thing I've ever done. So even just to be successful, you know, like with a six point every year is still tremendous, tremendously challenging. So don't be discouraged if right. you're not successful all the time. Right. You know, keep with your program, with your system. We, we talk about that all the time. You have to have a system. Build a system that works for you and, and stick to it. Be confident in it. And Yeah, hands down, dude. That's like having a system and is the difference between you just f- ran- doing random crap, random shit, and expecting it to work out. Like, you're just like, okay, here's my system, and I follow and I execute it. I've preached this, but like, that is you have to do that because otherwise every move you make is random and like you're not going to be successful if every move you make is random no no there's got to be a system and a plan no i like it what else what advice do you have for the youngins for the kids i hate the part where you ask me for advice (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i don't know be better do gooder keep work a lot harder I think they're, I'll say this, especially for the, if you want something for the younger generation, I think they have the, probably the greatest opportunity um, that, that anybody has right now, because it seems like, and it probably makes me sound like a, you know, <laughs> grudgy old man or whatever, but uh, the, the younger generations, I, f- I feel like the opportunity for people who really work hard at something is, is better now than it's ever been because the, there's such a gap between those who are willing to put in that kind of effort and those who aren't. Um, so it's a supply and demand issue. Right. There's just not that many people like you find the young, if you, if there's a 21 year old kid out there, that's like totally into this and ready to get after it. Like you're rare, you're very rare and you have an opportunity to um, exceed all of your peers. If you're willing to put in that kind of effort. Um, so Tremendous opportunity for for younger people or for any any people right now. Just when you hear about it in every industry, there's you know nobody wants to work. You know nobody wants. That's that's across the board. That's yeah. in hunting, business, yeah. athletics, everything. So if, if you're someone who says, you know, I, I'm I'm not going to be status quo and I'm I'm going to be elite, it's the opportunity there. I think now is probably greater than it's ever been. In your opinion, what's the greatest skill, like single skill within elk hunting? Mm, that's a great question. Uh, I think the, the greatest skill, so, I, um, you know, sh- shooting a bow as a skill. Uh, if you're an extremely accurate archer, I, I believe that's probably the, the greatest skill set. That's something that you can work on and develop. I think the, the key to a great hunter is something that's not a skill. I think it's more instinctual. I think it's something that's more, some people just have it and some people don't. We all know killers and <laughs> non-killers. Yeah. And I don't think that's necessarily a skill. I think it's definitely so, uh, something that can be, uh, I, I guess you could hone it. Maybe. You could hone it and get better at it, but there's just, I mean, you can see it even in like little kids, like, <laughs> Some kids are just killers and <laughs> others are not. Yeah. And uh, I'm laughing because it's so true. It's, tr- it's true. So, I mean, as and far my, as the my actual wife is skill terrified set, that Wade's like going to be a sociopath. I'm like, no, he's just a killer. <laughs> no, that's great. He's just a killer. That's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, yeah. Skills, I mean, because there's so much to hunting that's 
that really can't be quantified. You know, how, like when so so much of it is is almost instinctual or, or guttural, and I, I do think a lot of that instinctual, it quote unquote instinctual, right? But there's an argument to be made where okay, so if I've spent you know years watching giant bulls yeah. and understanding their behavior and the country and how they move and everything they do. And then when I see something happen and I have a, a gut pull to go some certain right. direction or do a certain thing, is that totally instinctual or is right. that based and rooted in, you know, yeah. years of, you've of developed data, a gut instinct. Yeah. Right. So, and then going with that gut and that's, that's probably my favorite thing about hunting is when you get, when you go into that, um, that instinctual portion or say we call it the zone, right. Or a flow state. Okay. Where it's something that you don't really have to think about. You just act. Yeah. Right. And so how can you quantify that as a skill? Who has that and who doesn't? Because, because what that flow state is, and that's, that's what I used to love about football is like, you know, we practice every day. I love to practice. Like a lot of guys hate practice because it's long and it's hard and all that. But that was my opportunity each and every day to tap into my flow state. Which is funny because I, I feel like, do you think that's the difference between like greats? It's like people who can reach flow state in practice versus people who only reach flow state in the game. I don't know. I think I think that just just tap being able to tap into flow state is how that happens. I think like in football, how that happens is your preparation back to preparation. So I've watched all this film. You know, I I know what the opponent's doing. I know what I'm supposed to do. So it's a reaction, right? So mm-hmm. when the the ball is snapped and the play happens and I'm just reacting and flowing right. and that's rooted in preparation. Right. So I'm just in flow state and I'm just, I'm just moving and grooving. Right. right. And like that's the, the, the great players do that. They don't have to think if you think you're already too slow, right. like you're, you're behind and, and hunting is the same way. You know, you get into that zone and, and I just, I love that about bow hunting and bow hunting elk. Is you get, and, and for me, it's a chance to, to tap back into that because you don't get that in everyday life. We're, we're professionals in business, uh, husbands, fathers. You know, we ha- we have a, you know, we have like almost a, a public persona. Yes, it's who we are. It's part of who we are. But there's also another side of us. You know, and, and for me, it's a it's a whole other side, right? And it's a and it's a little bit of a dark side. <laughs> Just kill the QBs. You know, I call it, I call it taking, taking the mask off, yeah. you know, and like we're getting, I get really wound up this time of year. Like yeah. we talked about earlier, because when you get close to September, like I know it's mask off time. Yeah. Like it's time for me to be who I really am and just flow. Yeah. And every time I get in those situations where I'm, I'm on a ridge and I see a big bull and I carve out my line and plan my stock. Once I go off that edge, um, there's a line in, and uh, one of my favorite authors is uh, Tim Grover. He's a stud. Look him up. But uh, he has a line in a book that says, um, you know, when you're standing at the edge of the zone, it's your dark side that puts her seductive finger into your back and whispers, go. And I can just visualize that standing on, a, on the yeah. edge, you know, of a valley, seeing the bowl I want. And that part of me that I don't often get to tap into pushes me right in the back and says, Sean, go. Yeah. And then I just flow. And that's, that's the biggest thing that, that makes me successful. And I don't know how you can quantify that or how you anybody can it. develop that or anything. Right. It's just something that's a part of who you are. I think you quanti- or I think you develop it by being in that flow state. And I know exactly what you're talking about. Cause I can think about it. Like when I go, you can visualize yeah, it. Yeah. I can see you know, it, exactly. Like, I, like, everybody listening state. who's been, who's done that knows yeah. exactly what we're talking about. Like it's go time. Like, yeah. This bull's dead. Yeah. Like, and uh, some of that is like, I think it gets falsely attributed to confidence, but maybe there's some of that too, but like being able to, the difference is like when I go on a stock, I know it's going to happen. And I think there's a lot of people like, well, I don't know, hope it happens. You know, like, and if you're at hope it happens, you're not in flow state. No. Like, you're not like, I'm yeah, going, thinking. I'm going dark mode. Like, I'm taking mask off. That's it. <laughs> Dude, that's the best place. Like, like, uh, mentally, that's, that's the place that when you tap into that, I feel like you just, you go up another level, mm-hmm. you know, cerebrally and you just move. And, you know, like I, I told my wife about it last year, you know, I spent, the whole season um, amongst the elk and in really wild places. <laughs> and, you know, in the beginning I felt 
that I was witnessing nature going on around me. And towards the end, I was totally a part of it. And I was just flowing with it. Right. And that was such a f- elite mindset and a, just a, a feeling that you can get into. And it's only attainable if you spend that kind of time and you just get into like the rhythm of nature. It sounds kind of hippie, but like it's, <laughs> it's, it's true. It's 100% true because I am this way. I would rather have 30 days on one hunt than whatever, 10 or 330, 10-day hunts. And I used to just try to do as many elk hunts, and I thought that was cool and whatever. And it was like you were – you were just showing up to kill something, which something wrong with that. But it was like, it was like, get it done as fast as you can. Right now it's like, I want to be, I want to be immersed into this thing. And, and I'm not going to reach flow state within five days. Like it's just not going to happen. Right. I'm not going to be a part of this whole game. Right. Yeah. But once you like become a part of that game, like you do reach that flow state. That's a really good point. Mm-hmm. And there is a, there's definitely like a tipping point. You can't, really pinpoint when it happens but there there does become a point when you you um when you're out there and 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 something happens where you become someone who's witnessing what happens and then you change into someone who's just an active part of what's happening yeah and that that's a special feeling and a special time and that's something that i mean i don't know how you could get that anywhere else and you know something i wish you know, maybe people who didn't hunt or on the fringe could understand. Uh, and then when, when you come out of that, you know, I find, you know, when, when you come out of something like that, you come back home, a better husband, a better father, better entrepreneur, all that stuff. You know, oh, your, your, your perspective has just gotten so much better. And you're just, you know, you come out a better, a better version of yourself, which is like, for me, always the goal all the time uh, is let's, let's upgrade this, this version of, of who uh, we are. And, you know, that's one of the beauties of, uh, and one of the kind of the, I guess the, the, the unspoken things about this, you know, doing something this challenging and it doesn't have to just be bow hunting. It could be, you know, any, you know, very challenging in, endeavor that one might want to pursue. You're going to come out the other side, a better version of yourself. I haven't fully fleshed this out, but I've had this concept, like a lot of people frown upon like, Oh, this number of three fifty, like you want to kill three fifty bulls for me. I only reach, I, I truly reach that flow state when I get on a giant bull. I don't know why. I could give, you put a 320 bull in front of me, I just don't get that excited. I can walk up to it. It works out, it works out. I don't reach flow state unless I really want something. And maybe that's it. Maybe it's like you have to have this like desire that's strong enough to fear the loss of something where when I don't have that, I don't reach it, right? Like it's, put a 320 bullet there. I'm like, yeah, I'll put a stock on it. Let's see if we can poke it. You know, like, I don't care. It's just a different space, a headspace that I'm in because I don't have a fear of losing the thing. Yeah. It's a passion. I mean, right. you, you're not passionate about that smaller bull right. for, for whatever reason you've, you've built up this landmark in your, in your mind of this larger bull. And when you know, you have, why, like, why and you know how fleeting it have that to opportunity do with the is. size. Maybe yeah. that's it. Maybe it's you know how fleeting the opportunity is. Like it's, it's rare. It is rare. And, it, rare. and it does have to do with the size. I mean, success is measurable. <laughs> right. Like, right. And elk are measurable. <laughs> and the biggest ones are the rarest ones. Right. And they're the hardest ones to kill. Right. So it's absolutely like we don't have to dance around. <laughs> like, <laughs> small bulls are not rare. Right. They're everywhere. So they are less valuable to us. Mm hmm. You know, and, and we maybe hunt for different reasons than others. And I don't, you and I, we don't hold, you know, our goals or our standards to Neither anyone else. Right. Like it's like. Dude, I've said this. I'm the worst person to hunt with. If you like, you will shoot anything. Cause I'll talk you into anything. Cause I'll be like, I oh, love me shooting too. elk. Yeah, <laughs> like, oh, me too. Dude, you should shoot that one. It's like, oh, it's so, yeah, it's a great bull. <laughs> if I'm with anybody. Yeah. I'm like, oh, that's huge. Let's go kill it. I, I don't care. I, I called one 340 one year and it was like 280. <laughs> just so I could get the guy to kill it. It was right. a rifle bull hunt, bull hunt. And I'm like, I just want to see this thing dead. <laughs> so true. So true. So terrible, true. terrible hunting uh, partner that way. Oh yeah. I'm yeah. the worst. Cause it's funny because I think when people hunt with someone who only shoots big bulls, they're like, Oh, you know, they're going to think less of me for sure. I'm like, no, I'm the opposite. I'm Not like, at all. Let's kill it. Yeah. No, I hunted <laughs> with a buddy last year. He killed a, it was like a, I think it was three thirty ish through 20, something like that. But super dark, heavy, awesome bull. It was an awesome hunt. It, that everything about that was freaking 
incredible. Like yeah. I, like I don't look down at all on it. And and it was his first bowl. Yeah. Um. You know, and he great. was he was hunting with me. We had one other guy with us who were you know both really good mentors uh, for this guy. And and you know, like he he leveled up to to get that. And now, like this year, he's going to level up again. I, I'm right. sure just because that kind of you know got the ball rolling for him. But there's absolutely nothing nothing wrong with that just because you know just because the first ball i killed was 384 doesn't mean <laughs> that that's not whatever I, yeah everybody's different so i also I, I know you do this too but it's like we compartmentalize different hunts for different reasons like i love going with my buddies and drinking beer and having a great camp and whatever like there's all different types of hunts right like but for me the solo to re man you, like i didn't even thought about this but to reach flow state like it's it doesn't have to be solo but it's it's something different. Like it just, it, man, it hits me a little bit different when it's like all you're all alone and like in the world with this thing and you have to conquer this little problem. <laughs> yeah. I mean, flow state is like the most elite version of yourself. And like there, so there's this thing. So I, I oftentimes refer to it as the burning river. There's, um, God, you're getting real hippy dippy on me. The dude, burning river. <laughs> yeah. Well, so that's how I describe it's like in my chest. Okay. Right. And as we get closer to the season, like the the roar and the intensity of the burning river gets louder and more fierce right and the only way to to t- really fully tap into that is to reach that fl- that flow state and you know i, I had a, we have a mutual friend john who who recently told me cuz i've always tried to like characterize what that is you know yeah. what wh- what is that thing in you and and you know i've heard uh, people describe it as you know the gap between who you are today or where you are and what you think you're capable of being. That's that, that gap is then that dissatisfaction is that's what that is. And then I've heard, so John, uh, just recently we were talking about it and he told me that, you know, he believes that what that is, is it's the best part of you trying to live. Mm. How badass is that? (laughs) Yeah. And so when you're, on the edge and you go and you tap into that flow state going after that giant bull. To me, I believe that's the best part of me living. Yeah. Dude, that's so good. That's so good. It's so true. Like that's what I'm desiring. When I, when I think about what I desire in a September, that's the dude just hits the nail on the head. And that's like, what you're going for, yeah. man. And it's, it's so hard to, I'm glad we came to this because I would like, I want people to understand that. Right. It's almost so hard to describe. And I, I love that John described it that way. I've, like, I feel like it, it kind of, it's more relatable if you. Thanks, Dad. Yeah. <laughs> He's going to listen to Thanks, Papa John. <laughs> but, dude, it's, that's, that's what it is. I mean, and that's what you desire so much is it's, it's this internal thing you just want. That, it's the best of you trying to get out, trying to live. Yeah. And, 100%. And you can let it out and, and do it in, in our And this is why, like, I've grown to the point where it's like, I want to, like, there's a certain thing that I want to, and I've never been, ar- been able to articulate it, but it's like, there's a certain thing you want out of September. And I'm like, yeah, I love screaming bulls. I love, you know, chasing elk. I love being out there, like all those things. But that's not, that's not the burning river. It's, yeah, it's reaching flow state. It's different. Yeah. I wrote a poem about it last year. Uh, dude, you just keep getting softer. <laughs> I did. I, did. I, I was. I love uh, it. I, I wrote it on a lot. Do you want to hear it? Yeah. Do you got it? it? Yeah. I love this. I wrote this uh, on the last day of September last year, and it was a crazy year. Hunted my ass off unsuccessfully in September, um, and I actually, so I, I named it September. I love so, this, dude. Okay, I'll just read it. So September. Maybe she overheard some of the things I said about her as she blew by on the summer breeze on her way to the fall. Maybe she was tired of giving me what she thought I wanted all these years. Regardless, this year she was ready. She wasn't going to give up a giant. Not this time. But that's where she misjudged me. In her desperate attempts to keep me from my quarry, she gave me everything. In the last month, I've endured wind, dust, and snow, hot days, cold darkness, loneliness, frustration, fear, and doubt. I've counted coup on wild beasts, tangled with the brown devil, and howled at the moon with my brothers the wolves. 
I've embraced real darkness and made friends with discomfort. In the beginning, I witnessed the ebbs and flows of the wild. Now I feel them and move with them. September will be gone tonight with the setting sun. She feels victory, but her last light will shine on my dusty bearded grin. And she will know that October is in for the ride of her life. <laughs> so good. <laughs> yeah, Who dude. would have thought Sean had this thing? Hey. <laughs> I can't believe that we ended up here yeah. in this podcast. Because <laughs> that's some heavy stuff. But yeah, I spent some, and Dad. there was, you know, I was in some huge, rough mountains and grizzly country. And it just, yeah, it kind of tapped into a different part of me. And uh, after experiencing that, um, you know, and I write, I write tons of notes in my phone every day, different thoughts, different, different things. And that's what September is about. Dude. Yeah. I uh, had a similar experience um, year before last. It's that year I missed that giant. Um, and I was like, it was, it was October, but it was like, I was closing a gate and it was like, so like impactful of like, how many of these damn gates have I opened and closed, but this was the last one of the year. Yeah. And I had this thought and then like wind was starting to pick up the Aspens were yellow. And it was just like this super impactful moment of closing the last gate of September. Yeah. You were shutting the door for the season. Yeah. That's crazy. It's kind of a punch in the face, but it's like the punch in the face you look forward to every year. But I mean, that's, that's how special it is to us. (laughs) You don't, you don't just feel that for no reason. I mean, it's, it's special. And I think it, it's ancestral. It's part of who we are. It's it's part of our our soul, you know. So, I mean, that's that's why a lot of times we will describe it as you know we have a hard time describing it, right? Because yeah, it's that special. Yeah, it's that yeah, it's that deep. It's so good. Well, best of luck this year. You're gonna crush it, I'm sure. Both kill giants. Yeah, I think we should double up this year. It'd be good. <sighs> double up. Let's let's double up opening weekend and then just like. <laughs> yeah, let's double up and then we can do the whiskey bent and bull bound podcast afterwards. I like your style. Let's yes. do that. <laughs> you actually named that because Ben and I did that. And you're like, you text me, you're like, you got to name it this. And I was like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yep. It's a perfect name. All right, Jen. Peace. Today's podcast brought to you by awesome folks over at Onyx Maps. I think it's safe to say I use Onyx Maps daily at this point. And, you know, with gas prices as high as they are, I spend a lot of time e-scouting because it's way cheaper than driving and actually scouting. Uh, one of the cool things that I've done is taking places that I've hunted before and all these these pins that I have. And I started putting them in folders because then I can hide the folders from the maps and it gives me a different perspective and I can look at the maps that are clean, right? So instead of looking at all these pens and all this garbage that I had saved, uh, I can put them in a folder, hide them, take them away from the map and look into the map and try to dive into like, okay, what, how do I see things differently? So that's one of the things I'm doing. I'm going back to old places and just putting all those pens in folders and saying, okay, I'm going to look at this with a fresh slate. So really cool feature adding your pens to folders and being able to put the folders on the map, take them off the map. Really cool feature from Onyx. Uh, Go check them out. Onyx Maps, uh, get the app, get the Elite. There's a ton of new benefits with the Elite. So check it out. Use the code T-R-O. You'll save yourself 20% off your membership. Really cool tool. Awesome company. Highly recommend. just smoked him at 55 yards.